This morning we are going to answer our final question in our What is Love series um, as we're going through uh, the, the letter uh, that John wrote in 1 John uh, to the church, uh, probably in Ephesus. Uh, John's focus of his life uh, was the love of God. He was known as the disciple um, who Jesus loved. Uh, his gospel, the gospel of John, is just overwhelmingly filled with, with the love uh, of Jesus. Uh, it's just saturated and soaked with it. If you need a refresher and a reminder of how much Jesus loves you, how much the Father has, has given up for you, um, read, read through the Gospel of John. Uh, there's a lot of life uh, in there. History is littered with famous examples of victories. We love good stories of victories, right? Um, very rarely do we like to tell the stories of our defeats. Uh, there's a famous saying, uh, to the victors go the spoils, right? And that history is told through the lenses of the victors, right? So when you win, you have the benefit of, of having the voice uh, to, to tell the truth and to speak um, of, uh, and proclaim your great victories. Uh, we have tons of examples of great victories all throughout history. Um, some of them, the details are a little bit foggy and hazy because they happened a very long time ago. There may be some fictional accounts. Um, you may think of, you know, the, the famous 300, 300 uh, Greek soldiers versus probably a million Persians. Um, it could have been fudged a little bit. But there's a remembrance there of those who won an overwhelming victory against great odds uh, that they get to tell the story. Crazy thing in that is, they're the ones who are remembered because they all died. It makes no sense. So I'm going to tell you some stories of people who actually won battles um, and lived to tell about it uh, this morning. Uh, let me give you two great examples of battles that uh, have been won, fought and won, uh, over uh, the last couple of centuries. First one you may not be that familiar with, but it is the Battle of New Orleans. I have an undergraduate degree in history. This is scratching all my itches this morning. The Battle of New Orleans, January 8th, 1815. The thing about the Battle of New Orleans was uh, British and, and American troops are facing off against each other, ready to fight a battle in a war that actually technically had ended on December 24th of 1814. It's just that, without the advent of email or the telephone, or any way other than a horse and a letter to get you the information that you need, these soldiers had not, these two months later, gotten word that the war was actually over. So you have 8,000 British troops versus 4,500 American troops. This battle is considered one of the most decisive military conquests in history. Not just because the ones who won were the ones that were outnumbered, but in the course of over 30 minutes, 2,000 British troops were killed. 30 minutes. And only eight American casualties were suffered. At this time, 
Uh, this, this was a battle and a war that, that, that was hard fought. And it took a lot out of, out of the country and out of the morale of the country. And, and although this was a battle fought in a war that had already ended, this is the battle that elevated national pride um, to, to pre-revolutionary war times. This is also known as the last armed battle between the United States and British troops. And so, to win the battle for New Orleans... General Andrew Jackson had to defeat three things. The British Army, which was formidable, fatigue, and low morale. This victory was wildly celebrated in its day, but it's become practically unknown to us just two centuries later. How many of you had heard of the Battle of New Orleans? Honest. Wow. Okay, way more than I expected, but still not that many. Second battle is one that's much more recent. Uh, I am going to call this battle the Battle of Minneapolis. It happened on February 4th, 2018. This is like my little April Fool's moment. Um, this is the last time I will talk about the Eagles winning the Super Bowl, I promise. This week. Um, the experts had already declared a Super Bowl champion uh, before the game was even played. Uh, what you had going were uh, pretty insurmountable odds, five Super Bowls versus zero Super Bowls. Um, you have then, though, the result of this great battle in victory is a Hall of Fame quarterback losing to a backup quarterback. And what this ended up doing was elevating citywide pride uh, after a lot of setbacks. And we will call this the last armed battle uh, on the gridiron to date. And to win the Battle of Minneapolis, Nick Foles, MVP, had to defeat public perception. He had to defeat history. And he had to defeat Tom Brady. Oh, I felt so good. <laughs> This victory was wildly celebrated, but teams in the NFL are already looking forward to the next season just two months later. See, we tend to place military and sports victories on a very high pedestal in our culture. But they are often short-lasting, and they have no real significant sense of finality. There are no once and for all victories. We even have this tendency to frame like the regular occurrences in our lives around language of battle. Have you ever said this? Man, I'm so tired. I'm just battling for some sleep right now. Or I'm battling the neighbors over whose tree this is and who has to get it cut down. Or I'm battling the laundry and I'm battling the dishes. See, we may conquer for a moment, but wars will be fought, and champions will be decided, sleep will be lost, laundry and dishes will pile up again. Watchman Nee 
once said this about victory. Great man of prayer in intimacy with Jesus. He said, any victory that does not more than conquer, more than conquer, is just an imitation victory. While we are suppressing and wrestling, we are only imitating victory. If Christ lives in us, we will rejoice in everything, and we will thank and praise the Lord. We will say, hallelujah, praise the Lord forever. He's saying, the reason we have to keep fighting these battles again and again and again in our lives is because they are merely just imitation victories. We feel good for a couple of minutes, but there's only one victory that has finality. There was one battle in the course of human history whose, whose outcome truly lasts forever. One that did, as Watchman Nee says, more than conquer. And that is the battle for your soul. It happened on Passover week in the year 33 AD. See, a stone had already been sealed uh, over the tomb. And the odds were insurmountable because the scorecard up to this point was dying infinity and humanity zero. But in a moment, death lost to the Son of God. Death lost to the Son of God. And what this did was elevate humanity to right relationship with him. And the last armed sting of death would be felt by those who are born of God. See, to win the battle for your soul, Jesus defeated sin, he defeated death, and he defeated the grave. Far more intimidating than the British Army or Tom Brady. See, it was the furious love of the Father that raised Jesus from the grave to win a battle that we couldn't fight. It was the victorious love of Jesus that gives us all of the benefits of his win as if it were ours. The restored relationship with the Father is ours. The result, it's ours. We have Jesus' restored relationship with the Father as if we fought the battle ourselves. We have the full privilege of being enter, able to enter into the presence of God uh, without, without any repercussion. Because Jesus fought and won a battle for us, and we get to, to have the full benefits of that victory. And it is the present love of the Holy Spirit that shows us how this love is both attained and evidenced. So this morning, as we look in 1 John uh, chapter 5, it's a lot of verses. It's verses 1 to 21, so I'm just going to give us a bit of a summary of this this morning. Please take some time and go back and read this. This is a rich Rich, rich telling of victory. Here is how we can attain the victorious love of God. It is given to you freely. It is offered to you freely. But you have to take hold of it. You have to attain it. 
And here's how we do this. Through being born of God, verse 1. John talks about this spiritual birth that happens. Whoever has the Son has life, he says. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. See, Scripture says that whoever confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead will be saved. That means to, to attain, to grab hold of this victorious love that Jesus, Jesus has won through his victory. This, this victorious, overwhelming love that's being released to us. All of the spoils of victory that are now ours are accessed through being born of God. And it, it's more than just confessing with our mouths that he is Lord. Scripture also says that, that to grab hold of this, you have to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. See, the resurrection is, is power to salvation. Not only do we attain it through being born of God, we attain it through obedience to God. Verses 2 and 3, John's saying we have to keep his commands. Um, this means more than just keeping to uh, the Ten Commandments that are given in the Old Testament. Jesus gave a great command to his followers. Do you know what it is? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And to love who? Your neighbor as yourself. See, we're often very good at attaining and going after the love of God as it comes to, to praising and worshiping him and getting really into, into the music and the singing and getting really into whatever it is that's going on and showing up at every church function that we can. But are we loving our neighbors as ourselves? Because if we are not, we are not actually fully attaining the victorious love of God. says we attain this victorious love through overcoming the world. Romans 8.11 says, and if the spirit of him, the spirit, see we overcome the world by the spirit of God poured out to us, dwelling in us, working through us. If the spirit of him who has raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Because of his spirit that lives in you. See, we are only able to overcome this life, the presence of the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, the presence of the spirit who has all power in dwelling and living in us. That's actually kind of cool, isn't it? Do you know the moment that you received Jesus, you decided to walk this life, you confessed with your mouth that he is Lord, and you believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead, at that moment was given to you a deposit of the Holy Spirit that now gives you the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That means you can get your taxes done by April 15th. It's not that scary. 
That means maybe whatever he's calling you to is not as, as frightful as it might seem because he has empowered you to, to do it. He's given you uh, the life of one who can overcome because his victory was complete, full. And you can attain this victorious love through accepting Christ's testimony, John says. What does he mean by this? He says it. He says, and this testimony. This is the testimony. That God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. If your life feels like it is not one of victory. Have you been born of God? Are you walking in obedience to him? Are you living in the fullness of the Spirit's power to overcome the world that is available to you every moment of every day? And have you accepted Christ's testimony? He's given you eternal life. You live forever. You do not have to fear death. And just as he defeated sin, sin does not have to have power over you. And you can have the life of the Son living in you and through you. Not only is this victorious love attained, John says, but it is also evidenced. Because we can grab hold of the victorious love of God. But there is a way that, that we show in our lives that, that this is, is the life that we have decided to enter into and to walk in. How do you do this? Well, John says we do this first through prayer, verse 13 to 15. Prayers are exercise of faith, John says. It's where we get confidence to approach God. It's where we have the confidence to ask anything of him. It is the confidence that he hears us. See, if we are walking in the victorious love of Jesus, then we can pray. We can enter into his presence and we can talk to him and he listens to us. Not only that, he speaks back. Prayer is not ever a one-sided conversation. The Father is always speaking to us through the Spirit of through the Spirit. Going to talk to us, give us perspective, shine light on dark things in our lives. And if we're walking the victorious life, it's evidence through prayer. I've never met a person who I said and looked at and go, that person's like walking in victory and freedom that hasn't had a deep life of prayer attached to it. 
This love is victorious. Love is also evidenced through authority, verse 16 and 17. This authority, John says, to give life to those who are struggling. All around us, people are struggling day by day, right? We struggle. And he's saying this victorious love gives life to those who are struggling by, by giving us what we need to take authority over the foothold of sin in our lives. This is, this is what John is saying. That through the victory of Jesus and him being raised from the dead and the de- sin has been defeated, then that means that we now have an authority over sin, the same authority that he has. To remove whatever it is the the foothold of the evil one, the enemy of our souls has, so that we can walk in fullness of victory. So this love is evidenced through discernment. Verses 18 and 19, this discernment to know the difference between what is of God and what is of evil. And if we're having a tough time, and if we're struggling with this one, then then love can never be evidence that has not been attained. And so we just go back into his presence and we say, God, I am, I am yours. I am yours. I commit myself fresh to, to walk as your child. I commit myself fresh to walk in obedience to you. I commit myself fresh in this moment. Uh, Lord, to, to take on all of the benefits of your victory. And I invite the Holy Spirit to come in to, to, to help me see what is of God and what is not. And finally, this love is evidenced through an assurance. This assurance, he says, that comes to those who have grabbed hold, who have attained the victory of Jesus. This assurance that we are gods through Jesus and through his work. And that we have eternal life through him alone. Look at me. Let's make eye contact. Let's make this real awkward. If you are in Christ, no scheme of the enemy can ever take that from you. None. Your sin is never too much for him to bear. And he will never cast you from his presence because of it. He loves you with a love so furious that he died for you. And a love so furious that he conquered death. You're loved. And the eternal life that he promises to all who believe can never be snatched away. Go ahead, try to run far. 
try to run far. And your entire life, you will see him right next to you, chasing you down. So we sang it this morning. He leaves the 99 to go after the one. Thank God that he does that. See, the resurrection is the only victory that really matters. Yeah? The resurrection is the only victory that really matters. It is the great ex- greatest example of might on display, not through force, but through love. God does not fight battles the way that we fight battles. So when you you are far from him, he is not going to wrestle you to the ground. He is not going to pick you up like an angry father and pin you against the wall and shame you. He is going to grab hold of you and he is going to love you furiously. And he's just going to give you all that he has of himself and all that he has of himself. through his love, not by force. But he calls us to share in his victory. See, we are being called into a resurrection life to be a resurrection people this morning. To attain it, you do it by being born of God, by being obedient to God, by overcoming the world and accepting the testimony of Christ. If uh, you are not experiencing, again, the victorious life, this is a good place to start because this is all about presence. Get deep in his presence. And there you learn how to pray. There you learn how to take authority and have authority. There you learn discernment. There you learn of his great love for you. And once you've grabbed hold of Christ's victory, these things, prayer, authority, discernment, assurance, become weapons that you wield in life. Wield them well. Because you're battling a foe who has already been defeated. It's time for a new season for the church, a season to walk in victory. N.T. Wright wrote it this way. He said, Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project. Not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven which is the life of victory, which is the life you already possess.